LeBron, Eric Kratz, Todd Father, and any big uh, Labor Day weekend plans, Todd Father? You got uh, any big games? No, I, I yeah, actually, you bring that up. It's funny. A couple of days ago, we had some money left over for the basketball team. We have a little basketball tomorrow. Three games, one, three, and five, getting the travel team back together with my son. And uh, then I got a party on Sunday up here down here in Lavalette on, on the water So uh, with my cousin. So we'll have a good time. Solid. Kratz? Yeah, we're going down the shore. It's going to be great. DTS. Love it. I wish I was doing the same. All right, so let's get right into action here. First off, Ken Rosenthal is going to join us soon on, do you like this name, Dump Deadline Day? Because, I mean, you're dumping players. You're getting nothing back. To me, that's that's what a dump in baseball is all about. You cool with yeah. Dump Deadline? I like it. I like it. It seems like, you know, the football players cutting their team, their players, mm-hmm. and then it's Dump Day. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy <laughs> it. I enjoy it. Not bad. Okay. I'll call, cool. it, I'll call it try try hard trade deadline. Because <laughs> oh, you guys are all tryhards. You want my players. We don't want to try. We're just gonna lose, even though we're totally out of it. And now we get to circumvent the rules that are put out there. Yeah, this is not what it was made for. So the Angels though will get under the luxury tax and yay. they will probably Yay, good job, Artie. And they will probably get a second round pick instead of a fourth round pick for the loss of Shohei Otani in the offseason. The percentage chance has gone below zero that he will be returning to the ball club at this point. But um, we'll talk to Ken. Then Brent Suter is going to join us. And also DJ Stewart will be our PG Player of the Week. So looking forward to that. He had like the game of his life a couple days ago. DJ on the Mets right now. So let's charge the damn mound and let's talk about the playoffs. Because guess what? Top Father, the playoffs started last night. Did you get the memo, man? The playoffs? <laughs> playoffs, baby. They started last night. Braves-Dodgers was a legit wow. playoff game. I I watched that thing thinking, wait a second. Like, you would get lost for a moment in time and go, oh, oh yeah, it's not October. It's just, it's sold out. Two best records in baseball. Absolute thriller. Braves jump out early. Acuna hits a grand slam. Mookie's like, bam, I got two homers for you. Dodgers end up falling short, although Max Muncy... Didn't miss by too much. You mm. get a little more of the bat on that changeup, on that 3-1 pitch in the ninth from Rysel Iglesias, and the Dodgers are taking game one of this four-round heavyweight battle. So were you entertained? I was. I was very entertained. 60 and 30. I need 10 more stolen bases, big dog, to make my uh, <laughs> my pick come true. I don't know if it's going to happen. They might slow down because they're going to win this division pretty soon. But... Um, He's that at 62. Awesome. All, right, all right, 62. Okay, all right, we're pushing. We're he pushing swiped the bag in the ninth. But, um, yeah, I'm entertained, man. Ronald Acuna. I saw the betting odds. He went down. Mookie started going up. I said, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. So, Ronald Acuna pretty much secured it yesterday. But can it change? Of course it can change. So, right now, Acuna's back in the driver's seat especially against Mookie, even though he had two. I mean, this is crazy. The best guys are playing their best brand of baseball right now in a packed house. This could be the NL um, CS. This could be the, the uh, you know, the who's going to make it to the, to the World Series. These games right here in about a month and a half, and I'm excited about it. I'm all for it. I think the only back and forth was between Mookie and Acuna. 
<laughs> because it was like, I mean, grand slam on the heater up after Acuna starts with a rocket in the first. And then Betts was like, oh, wait, I'm going to bring my team back. And to me, out of this first game, obviously we got three more. I wish we had shows on the weekend so that we could see this whole thing. To me, the whole no MVP chance in Dodger Stadium for Acuna, I'm good with that. Hey, look, he's done great. 30 and 62 now is unbelievable. But to me, if I'm the Braves, I just took my number one going up against because I think Strider, I mean, maybe people might think Elder, but I don't, if Elder's your guy, Strider's your number one up against a guy with the Dodgers who's fighting for a spot. So you're supposed to hit that guy. He's fighting for a spot in that postseason rotation. And they almost beat him. So to me, the Braves, this is, hey, they won. A win is a win is a win. The Braves need to make sure that they get their game tight because they're walking a few too many guys. They're, you know, you're going up. That was essentially like a four or a five in the Dodgers rotation going up up against your number one. This is the game. That was the game they should have won. It's, it, it, they... They showed me a little something. They showed a little, a little, uh, a little weakness there, but they still won the game. I think that the Dodgers are showing that they're just as much of a threat in the National League right now. You're right. I mean, Strider's their one, dude. Stuff-wise, he's their one. And he had some dominant innings, nine strikeouts. He had two, I think it was the second and the fourth inning, striking out the side. So there's dominance there. But the Braves can overcome that, especially with Mookie and Freddie. I mean, there's other length in that lineup, but Mookie and Freddie setting the tone right away in their first inning. They scored a run. Both of them had knocks. Mookie takes that 99 off the edge of the plate from Strider and goes oppo. And then later on, what was that, in the seventh against Joe Jimenez, he pulls a bad boy like, damn, he's got it all going right now. He had one of the most ridiculous months that we've seen in, in some time, over 50 hits. He was hitting like close to 500 for the entire damn month. And, you know, Kratzy, you'd get a kick out of this. I watched the whole postgame show um, for the Dodgers, and they go to the clubhouse. And then, you know, you have the press scrum asking questions to Mookie. And one of the dudes from some local place was like, I, I know you wouldn't necessarily change your approach for this, but do you feel like, you are playing against Acuna. Like, it's you against him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I got to point that one out. And Mookie's like, nah. He's like, you know, and Mookie's super cool. And he's actually become an even better post-game interview because he knows what he's doing now. He's doing, you know, his own little show. So he's like, yeah, I'm playing against the Braves, not against Acuna, you know? So, because they kept asking him questions, which is fine. You're going to get that. You got the two MVPs facing off. But that particularly um, staged question had me laughing at 1.45 in the morning. Yeah, not, not, I didn't hear that interview, but that's, that's funny. It's like the whole, like, he, what is, what did, what did Harper say? That's a clown question, bro. No, he's not <laughs> playing, he's not playing against him, but man, he is, he is making a run at it. And with him and Freddie at the top of the lineup, Strider, all the strikeouts that the Braves had last night, they didn't strike those two guys out one time. So while Betts and Freeman are not trying to, you know, beat out Acuna here, they're trying to beat the Braves, 
I don't know that the Braves have an answer for those guys. They are – that's what I'm interested to see. That's the competition. That's the matchups that I want to see the next three games because I don't know that they have an answer for those guys, and the rest of the lineup's going to start to continually carry it. So I'm pro-Dodger right now for sure. These Braves, these Braves have their hands full. And also there was love in the air, as Matt Olson called it. They asked how Acuna went from basically no sleep to casually having a wedding and then hitting a grand slam, leading his team to a dub. He got married. His fiance um, had to, I don't know how to explain this well with the visa. Oh, actually, let's let's throw the tweet up there so that I don't have to explain it. How all this stuff works. But Acuna Jr. did get married. He's got some kids. And um, they just casually threw that in there while he had his biggest series of the regular season to get through. So Alden Gonzalez providing a little more context for us. He said, Acuna planned to get married in the offseason, but his fiance's visa was set to expire, keeping her and the kids away for three months. He wanted them there for the stretch run. An L.A. wedding was arranged in 24 hours, and then Acuna made history. Wow. He made history twice. <laughs> he yeah. got married and made history for his family, got married and then did what he did. I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, I think uh, who said something? Uh, Matt Olson said something too as well. He said, I'm about to renew. I'm about to get my vows renewed after all yes. the success he had yesterday. <laughs> I, I found that pretty cool, man. Look at that. Hey, listen, that's how all weddings should be, man. Shirt, jeans, just chilling with the boys. I'm sure. Uh, Late last night, they had a couple more sips of uh, whatever they had. The power of love. I don't know, Olsen said, I'm going to renew my vows tomorrow. And if he did, <laughs> guess what? I am going to take it to the house. Home run for Olsen today. Home run. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's contingent on him renewing the vows, right? Yeah, it's contagious too, man. That, that's all. I, think, <laughs> I think everybody on the team renewed their vows yesterday. Um, you know, that, that's pretty cool, man. Unique situation to do that and then come and play a game, hit a grand slam. I mean, he's going to tell his, you know, his kids when they get old, just remember when I married your mommy, I did all these great things. So it's uh, pretty cool. And his kids kids are going to play in the big leagues, just like their grandfather, (laughs) Acuna senior. When I played with them, Acuna, the third Ronald, the third is going to, you know, that family, they can play some baseball, but tied the knot. I look like, it looked like not all the boys got invited. The invitation got lost like Brady Singer's golf invitation got lost. You got to have, you know, you, you might have to, they might have to throw a, throw a party in the clubhouse tonight, maybe a little cake, because everybody loves cake. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it was thrown together pretty last minute, so I don't think he had time to, like, text everyone and be like, hey, show up wherever. So I think he's got a lot on his plate right now. All right, and then we're going to bring on Ken Rosenthal in a minute. I'll, I'll sneak in one more story, because we went over a lot of the deadline dumping from yesterday, and we're going to continue that conversation with Ken on what he thinks about Cleveland and Cincinnati picking up guys. One bit of news we didn't get to because I think it kind of broke after the uh, show ended. Josh Donaldson, who was cut by the Yanks, does latch on with a ball club in time to be eligible for the postseason. And that ball club is the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, you might look at J.D. and Yankee fans crush him, Todd Father. I'm sure you've seen, right? You you do pre and post for the Yanks. They have been very disappointed, the fans about how that trade turned out. Dude is still an elite glove, and he can bop some homers. He can go on a little heater. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if Josh Donaldson, the 
NLCS MVP or some shit for the Brewers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. He's got nothing to lose, dude. He's got nothing to lose. You're playing on a ball club, which most likely is going to make the playoffs. He's an exciting ball player. It's, I mean, he's not toast. He struggled in New York. A lot of people struggle in New York, man. That's part of what comes with the nature of New York. Focusing, everybody's focused on, ah, oh, man, he stinks this and that. He's going to go to Milwaukee where it's calm, cool, and collective. Eric, you've played there before. It can be exciting, and it will be exciting. But the rigors of, of New York are 10 times more blown up than where he's going. So he can be nice and relaxed. You know what? He might just take off, man, and good for him if he does. They're just going to mix him in real quick. They're going to put, you know, sit him on the bench a little while. They're going to try to get the setups, you know, try to get the matchups that really work for him. It'll work out well. I don't see him playing 24 games in the month of September, but it'll work out. Ron, Kratz, Todd Father, and Ken Rosenthal joining us right now. Ken, great to see you. And I didn't think that we still had two trade deadlines, but we did. And I've termed it dump deadline. Um, because it's not trades. You're just dumping your players and you're saving money. So I don't know if you like that phrase or if you've heard anything else that stood out to you. Tom Verducci told us yesterday, major league yard sale. That stood out just a little lengthy for me. I need like the alliteration and a little quickness to it. But um, what did you think of what went down? Because we haven't spoken to you since just suddenly the Angels created really another version of the deadline to put the Ohio teams in a better spot. First of all, Scott, I called it waiver week. That was my contribution. I kind of like <laughs> dump deadline better, though. It's more pejorative, as it should be. I wrote about this the other day in terms of whether this is good for the game and just focusing on the Angels because guys go on waivers every year. I'm sure this happened to an extent last year. We just didn't report on it as diligently, and it's because one team didn't dump as feverishly. The Angels did, and my concern is, is if – this happens every year, if it happens every year, with a team taking that kind of approach. Baseball is going to have to take a look at this kind of behavior by the clubs because it disrupts a pennant race. It distorts a pennant race. The teams that play the Angels the rest of the way have a decided advantage. It also robs fans of seeing, I wouldn't call it a quality product. The Angels haven't been that, but a further compromised product they're going to be seeing now. That's not a good thing. If you've bought tickets for the Angels in September, uh, guess what? It's going to be a little bit of a rough go outside of Otani, of course. So there are some concerns here. And this was kind of a fun, weird thing. But if it's a fun, weird thing every year, and I would expect that teams might try this because it is within the rules, then baseball has a problem and a problem that needs to at least be examined with regard to how you approach keeping the single trade deadline? Do you move the deadline back? Do you enforce or impose, introduce different rules to guard against this kind of behavior? These pure, massive dumps. That's not a good thing for the game. Do we know if there is a way that they can circumvent this as far as like MLB? Can they say, all right, I know the rule changes on the field or they propose it and then they can unilaterally do it. Is it the same thing for something like this, or is this cooked into the CBA and we have no chance of it changing for the next five years? It's in the CBA, and certainly no one is going to act, Eric, on behavior in one season, right? It's too small a sample. This was too weird a circumstance to really know whether it's going to become a trend, but I suspect it might. And if it does, then in the next CBA, yes, you'd have to look at it. There are times where 
you can reopen the CBA, or at least there's that possibility, but they're not going to do it for something like this. I would expect, though, that over the next four years that we're going to see baseball take a hard look at this and just see how clubs conduct themselves with this kind of thing. Again, the Angels did nothing wrong in terms of the rules, in terms of the way they should act. If, in fact, if I were running the Angels, I might have done the same thing, simply because it saved the team money. I don't know how many millions, but it was five or six million, I believe, in the long run. And it also enabled them to get under the luxury tax threshold, which will give them a higher draft pick if they make Otani a qualifying offer and he rejects. It gets to be a difference of two rounds. After the second round, I believe, or after the fourth round. This way it'll be after the second. Those are good things for the Angels. Doesn't mean they're good things for the sport. And actually, you can even make the case that it's not so great for the Angels because think about this, guys. If you're a free agent, you sign a one-year deal there, you might be concerned that this is what they're going to do. They're just going to flip you at some point. Now, there's always that concern for free agents with regard to the trade deadline. But this adds a wrinkle to it that is not necessarily conducive to players being attracted to that organization. Aren't there clauses in, in big league, for big league teams that they have to put a competitive team on the field? That's kind of like where we're – like where – I'm not sure what the what the wording is that the MLBPA is going to file a grievance, but isn't there something where it's like they are not, they're specifically not trying to be competitive, and they're just shedding money. Which shedding money I understand, but isn't there a level of competitiveness that is in the CBA also? And I'm not sure the vernacular for that. I'm not sure either, to be perfectly honest. And that is a subjective judgment, anyway, right, Eric? Are the Oakland A's in violation of that? I would suggest <laughs> that they are. Are the Kansas City Royals? There are several teams you can look at and say, hey, this team is not as competitive as it should be. And yet, even with the A's and the Royals, you can point to some good things that are happening. The A's, Reagan, the guy they got from Texas for Chapman, has been a real revelation. And with the A's, they have a number of young players who have come up, Zach Geloff being one of them, foremost among them, they're kind of interesting in certain ways. They're not good by any stretch. So you can always make the case that the team's competitive. The Angels can say, we've got Shohei Otani. We're a major league product. We're fine. At the same time, from a broader standpoint, and maybe not from a literal CBA standpoint, this is not good for the sport. If it's good for Artie Moreno, yeah, that's great for Artie Moreno. Not a good look for the sport. Hey, Ken, my question to you is it's a two-part question, but do you do you remember the last time like a you know this happened before where a lot where you know some teams say, you know what, we're getting rid of a bunch of guys? Because I, I don't remember it being this significant. And do you see this as a trend moving forward by other teams taking the same route? You know what, you know, forget about it. We're getting rid of these guys so I could save some money or or just just because. I can see it being a trend, Todd, and I kind of addressed that earlier with the concern that, yes, it might become a trend, and then baseball would maybe take a hard look at this. As for it happening before, that's a good question. And with the old waiver period, you did see this happen. It happened quite frequently where teams would dump salary. The difference in many of those cases was that they were trades that were made. Now, they might have been kind of bogus trades. You weren't getting much back. But go back to 2012, the Red Sox trading Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett. They've got 
in that deal, they acquired some players as well. Punto went to the Dodgers, and then James Loney and I believe four prospects went back to the Red Sox. That was at least a trade. And yeah, you saw over the years some that really weren't that, some pure waiver claims like these that took place. But with the old waiver period, which I didn't really care for, I thought it was kind of silly with the rules and the confidentiality, the cloak and dagger stuff that was going on, at least you had the possibility to make a deal. In this situation, all you can do is claim the player and the team can get nothing in return. This is normally the time of year when we start doing the Ohio chant. So you're going to have to do the Ohio chant with me, however they do that. I know the O and everything. And we're getting ready for college football season. Now, all of a sudden, a team like the Guardians drops, starts dumping players, traded Savali with, when they were one game out. But they reverse course five games out. And now they join up with the, oh, now they're, you know, their odds to, to win the AL Central have just gone up. What, what is what is the maneuvering there and what is the like thought process is there? I mean, the guys they picked up, I think, really improved their team in a weak division. I agree with that. But in my view, and I'm going to use a word that you guys love and use in clubhouses all the time. This is eyewash. And it's eyewash because they already tore the team down. Granted, they said they were creating opportunities for younger players and then they went to some older veterans anyway. They tore the team down, or at least made some sell-type trades, and now they're saying, oh, we're going to try again? Remember, their clubhouse was quite upset when they made those trades. Josh Bell, Savali, Ahmed Rosario. They were like, the players, what are we doing here? And the front office kind of had to go in there and say, all right, here's the explanation, etc. They had to calm things down. This, to me, is sort of a payback for that, or a chance to cover yourselves for that. And I don't see it really making much of a difference. Yes, Lucas Giolito might be much better with the Guardians than he has been. They've got a great pitching coach in Carl Willis. Ronaldo Lopez has been a quality reliever. Matt Moore has struggled against lefties this year. It's been weird. But he, too, is a quality reliever. Yeah, they're better. But this is what they needed maybe on August 1st, not September 1st. And it just seems to me that this was the kind of reaction by the front office to the criticism that they received earlier. Now, if they turn it around and win the division, which I don't expect their playoff odds are something like 6% right now, I'll eat my words. But in my view, the Guardians, all they did was try to cover up what they did before, and they should not maybe have taken that course. Or at least if they had taken that course and wanted to jettison some of those players, Rosario in particular, they have other options in the middle infield. Okay, but maybe enhance the club in other ways and maybe don't trade Savali. Because if you didn't trade Savali, you wouldn't have needed Giolito. Hey, Ken. I, oh, sorry, I, I, a little hiccup there. I want to talk about the article you just wrote about Shohei Otani, about, you know, why is he still hitting? I, it, was, it was an impressive article, like always. You do a great job. But what do you think is the main reason? You wrote about three different ones. Like, is there one in your mind you think – that is specific towards him, like why you really think it is? Because they're all, they're all really good reasons. What one do you think specifically why he's still hitting? Todd, I kind of think it's a combination. And the three reasons were, one, he's chasing some pretty big numbers, 50 home runs. Of course, the American League MVP, which he probably has locked up, but he can seal it even further 
by continuing to play. Potential 50 home runs and 30 stolen bases, or 25 stolen bases even. If he did 50-25, he'd be the first player to do that. And even a triple crown is somewhat within reach. So that's one. He's got the ability to do all those things, and by hitting, he's not making his elbow any worse. The other thing is he might not want a second Tommy John surgery, and you couldn't blame him for that. Second Tommy John is riskier. It involves a longer more delicate recovery, it's a tricky thing. And remember, the first Tommy John he had, it took him really two seasons to recover. He came back the second year and pitched one and two-thirds innings and then was down again. So he might be looking at a second Tommy John and thinking, I'd rather not. And then there's the third reason he wants to be ready for opening day 2024 as a hitter because, of course, He's going into free agency, and if he's ready by opening day 2024, his value, at least in theory, might be that much higher. So is it any one of those things? Probably not. Is it a combination of all three? I would suggest it is more along those lines, but it's still a very curious situation. And the reason I wrote about it was we all believe, based on what we know, and we don't know much about the extent of his tear, the nature of his tear, but... Generally, a torn UCL leads to Tommy John surgery. It's not a matter of if, it's usually a matter of when. And by delaying, either through rest and rehab, PRP injections, a combination of both, you might simply be delaying the inevitable. So this is something that obviously is captivating the entire sport. Captivating might not be the right word. In interesting the entire sport because we all want to know what's going on with Otani and no one knows just yet what course he's going to take. But it seems pretty obvious, guys. If he wanted to have Tommy John surgery, he would have had it a week ago. Instead, he keeps playing, and it seems like he's going to keep playing and not decide in mid-September, eh, okay, I'll get it now. How is the man who has connections everywhere in you still writing articles about the best player in our game, by far, unicorn, whatever you want to say, there's really... Like, he's in a shroud of secrecy. And I'm not saying he, he's doing anything nefarious. I'm saying, how has he done this? Has anybody else been able to do this also? And is it going to continue with the next team? Like, this, is, this a, is this like a selling point? Hey, we can keep your secrecy. Not, not that he's doing anything bad, but we can keep you in your private little bubble like you've stayed for the first six years of your career. Eric, interesting question. And... Players have done this before. There have been players who don't speak to the media. I covered Eddie Murray early in my career. He didn't talk at all. Bonds at times did not talk. I can think of many others over the years. I don't want to be singling those guys out, but that was their course. That was their choice. Otani speaks after he starts. Hasn't started a game in a while. I mean, as a starting pitcher. So that's his choice. That's the way he goes about it. And... He's playing in a market where he hasn't been really challenged with that decision that he has made. Players are not obligated to speak to the media, but most players do speak to the media because they know the media is a conduit to the fans, and that's part of the way the game works, and it all kind of works hand in hand. It makes these guys more famous, if you want to call it that, not that he needs it, but to be able to get their stories out there to explain what they do and all of that. It's just all part of the way professional sports and even entertainment works. That said, 
when he doesn't speak, and when his agent, Nezbolelo of CAA, doesn't speak, it leads to articles like the one I just wrote asking all these questions because we don't have answers. And maybe Otani doesn't have answers either. That's one thing we should consider here. I went back and looked. The first time he had surgery, he was advised to get it on September 5th, 2018. He didn't decide to get it until September 25th, 2018. 20 days passed, and then he had it a few days later on October 1st. So it could be he's still just trying to decide what to do. And let's face it, guys, you know this. The decision to have surgery is not an easy one for a player to make, especially when it's the second surgery. In this case, a second Tommy John, which we all know is more complex than the first. I get all that. At the same time, it's going to be interesting to see going forward if his stance toward the media is accepted by his new team or if his new team asks him to do more. My guess is he'll get to do whatever he wants because he's going to be able to name his price and name his conditions <laughs> and do whatever he thinks is best for him. And listen, he is a little bit of a different player. He doesn't hang around his locker before the games because he's always preparing. So that's one reason that his availability is more limited. But at the same time, this is the stance he has chosen, and it's a stance most players do not take. Yeah, we truly can't relate to him, and by we, I mean even current major leaguers. Like Nobody can relate <laughs> right. to what he is going through, which actually I think also causes the problem of the point that Ken just brought up is who's he turning to? It's not like even doctors can look back and be like, oh, well, let's look at the last Otani situation where you've got a dude that's hitting every day and then pitches like this. And we're in this modern era too, where you're throwing hard and everything else. Like I'm sure there's a lot of discussion going on behind the scenes. So in my mind, Ken, you were hustling this morning. You put out two articles in The Athletic. I think you put out articles on the two most interesting free agent cases coming up this offseason. Otani, of course, is an easy number one. For me, the underrated number two is Craig Council if he decides not to go back to Milwaukee. And I need Kratz's help here. Kratz, you can ask him because since day one of Brew Crew Territory, which came out in early April, Kratz has been talking about this on the show and asking people within the organization about Craig Council and his contract. And I feel like most people are like, why is he bringing that up? Obviously, if he wants to keep managing, he's just going to be there like any other manager does. But Kratz, why did you have this inclination? Are you the new insider for the Milwaukee Brewers? I'm not the new insider. I would never, I would never, <laughs> ever say that. But it's just, it's unheard of on so many levels because he has done so well. And maybe because I really respect the guy, I see how he manages. I think he should have two or three manager of the year awards, which really don't mean anything other than, you know, people recognize it. But my question is, because everyone's going to say, well, whatever he wants to do is what he wants to do. Let's say he becomes a manager free agent. What teams would want him? Well, let's look at the Mets for starters. If David Stearns, who was the former president of baseball operations for the Brewers, goes to the Mets and becomes president of baseball operations there, certainly people are going to put two and two together and think maybe Greg Council replaces Buck Showalter. Now, Buck Showalter has another year left on his contract, but we've seen stranger things happen, right? Any number of teams, in my opinion, would at least look at their situations and say, do we want to stick with the manager we have under contract, or do we want to hire a guy who, as I wrote, routinely outperforms the preseason projections for the Brewers, routinely outperforms 
what their record should be according to their run differential. They do this with Milwaukee all the time. Now, there's no way to measure a manager and the quality of a manager. There's so many variables, and the one thing we can't measure, which I believe, and I think you guys probably believe too, is the most important quality, the communication within the clubhouse, the ability to hold the team together. Can't measure that. At the same time, his reputation within the game is such that people understand what he does. This team is never a top half payroll team. They're usually a bottom third payroll team. And yet they keep winning this NL Central or stay close to doing that. So, yes, if he gets out there as a free agent, teams are going to have to look at their situations and say, hmm, maybe we want Craig Council. Now, where he'd be willing to go, what he would be willing to do, no one knows. He has deep roots in Milwaukee. But if Milwaukee is not going to meet his desires, whether it's contractually or the, with the way the team is run, whatever it might be, and maybe there's a combination of all things that he's thinking about, then he, like any free agent, is at least going to look around. And at this point, with a month left of the season, when a player is in this position, we always say, well, he might as well test the market. Craig Council might as well test the market. Have we ever seen a situation like this where a manager's oh, doing yeah. so well? Yeah? Because normally it's like managers have that, oh, he's done so well, they get that, ah, they add a year on. And there's always that year on. This whole year, he's never had the year on, and everybody's just said, eh, whatever, it's no big deal. He'll just come back. Do you feel like the Brewers are kind of taking him for granted? Or do you think that the common, the communication has been had throughout the year? I Oh, there's been communication. There's no question about that. And I would not say the Brewers are taking him for granted. Now, I don't know the nature of the conversations that have taken place, what exactly was said, what exactly might have been offered, but there have been situations like this before. If I recall, Dave Roberts might have gone into a year as a lame duck. Now, maybe they got it done, maybe they didn't. The Yankees have taken Brian Cashman to the end at times. I believe they took Torrey to the end at times. Aaron Boone, Joe Girardi as well. Certain teams have that kind of philosophy. I remember getting into a conversation with Dodgers president Stan Kasten one day, and he was yelling at me for calling a manager a lame duck. You know, like, you guys don't dictate what we do. Is that well? Yeah, if he goes into the year without a contract for beyond that year, he's a lame duck. Council's a little bit different, obviously, because he has such stature, as did Dave Roberts for that matter, but. Yeah, it's a unique situation, at least for Milwaukee with Council. It's not unique in the game. There have been guys who have gone to the end without a deal and then either had to work it out at the end or go somewhere else or simply get dismissed. Talking about management, um, I want to shift over to the Yankees a little bit. You know, there's been some pressures over there. Been talking about them a lot. Um, people are saying that some things are unprecedented. Things will never happen. There won't be any change. Uh, do you feel a change coming in for the Yankees? Do you think Council might be a good spot there? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I want to hear your thoughts about what could happen and what will happen um, after this year is over with for the Yankees management-wise. The consensus is that no change is going to be made with Brian Cashman and that no change will be made with Aaron Boone unless Hal Steinbrenner ordered a change. And we've seen Hal Steinbrenner be very loyal to both Cashman and Boone throughout their tenures. And Cashman, he's had 25 straight winning seasons. This could be their first losing season. Maybe not. It seems they're going to give him a mulligan, even though I know fans are quite upset with the way the team has trended the last few years, and justifiably so. 
Boone is a little bit of a different story. In my opinion, Boone cannot be held responsible for what has happened here. It is not his fault. This is a roster construction issue, which goes back to Cashman. At the same time, we'll see how much Hal Steinbrenner is reactive to the unrest in his fan base. Their fans are not happy with the team. They want to see change. And it's one thing if you change a farm director or a scouting director or maybe even uproot the analytics department. There's been some talk of that. Maybe they do some of those things, and that's one thing. But is it enough to satisfy the fans? I don't know. And really, the only way things will change in that regard, as far as sending a message to Hal Steinbrenner, is if fans stop going to games. And I don't expect that's going to happen. Fans like going to see the Yankees play, Aaron Judge, the whole deal. But we all know Todd. I'm sure you know people. You have friends who get in your ear about the Yankees and are just exasperated with them. Hal Steinbrenner earlier this year had kind of a tone-deaf remark when he said, I don't know why people are so upset. Well, people are even more upset now, and it's going to be really interesting to see how he reacts, if he reacts at all in a big way. They might simply do some things around the edges, such as change their analytics, maybe make some other moves, rather than make a big move with either Cashman or Boone. And we'll get to the comments later, too, from Hal about maybe the outside counsel to evaluate the yes. analytics, which I have many thoughts there. Super weird. But I'm sure um, you do. Ken, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, yes. We will uh, get after it in a little bit. Um, enjoy your game this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ken. Back on Stadium FT Live, we've got debuts. So it is September. It's already happening. And that means more call-ups. And that means rosters can expand by two more humans not what was it in the past like 15 ish all of them go from like 25 to 40 the <laughs> everybody astros, is a major leaguer now <laughs> the astros when they were bad they had 39 guys on the roster they had like the double Jeez. sheet and we're trying to make the playoffs and they're just throwing out everybody bo porter was just doing all his bo porter matchup galore it was terrible <laughs> it, it, it was such an awful brand of baseball in September, it was so much slower. It made no sense. Buck Showalter, who I worked with in the past, basically said you have separate seasons. And he said, like, you have the regular season, then you have September, then you have October if you're in. So enough of that. Much better now. It, rosters it just expand by two. That doesn't make a huge a difference. September's a big call-up for a lot of people, man. That changes a lot of people's insurance health insurance it changes a lot of livelihoods of september i i still like it how it was just because of that sole fact but i had to put that oh helping out humans i'm I'm for that and what they no did doubt. do is from a service time perspective by adding two more people the amount of yep. days is given back because you have that for the entire season right mm -hmm. you have you had two at the end of the year and you have 26 man roster instead of 25 but i get what yep. you're saying in terms of individuals a lot more dudes oh, get yeah. called up it just wasn't oh, a yeah. good brand of baseball Understood. That, it. That, it was that's long. the one part I where I got to go against it. I, I wouldn't say it wasn't good. I just I would say it was a lot longer because you put pinch runners and you put this guy in to come in because you're down eight runs and next thing you know you give up another five. That's understandable. I still think it was a good brand. You get to see some new names and not to argue with you. I'm just just my explanation about it. That's all. No, tell me, tell me, screw you, kick rocks. No, no, no. There's other things I could take it. Kick rocks. I would never do that. <laughs> All right. Well, how about this? One of the worst prospect debuts we're ever going to see. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jason Dominguez. I'm actually super, super <laughs> excited for this. 
Todd will go over the epic nickname that he has. But first, let's get an A-plus scouting report from our friend J.J. Cooper from Baseball America on the debut of Jason Dominguez, which happens tonight. There's a youth movement going on at Yankee Stadium, which is something we don't often say with the New York Yankees. But with the 2023 season now basically consigned to being a massive disappointment for the Yankees, there's a youth movement because they're going to look at some September call-ups to join with already some young players already there. After the rest of them, Floreal's already there. Shortstop Anthony Volpe's been there all year. Now, though, we're also getting the arrival of outfitter Jason Dominguez and catcher Austin Wells. So what are the Yankees getting here? Well, Jason Dominguez, I'm guessing that you already know what somewhat what they're getting because he has been one of the most hyped prospects in baseball ever since a little bit before he signed as a 16-year-old with the Yankees. The comparisons back then were Mickey Mantle, Bo Jackson, Mike Trout. Let's bring those down several notches. Not because Dominguez is not a good player, but because if you're expecting that, you're going to be sorely disappointed. However, if you look at Dominguez of what he is, which is a player, knows how to draw walks, knows how to get on base, has great raw power, but gets to some power in games, puts together good at-bats, plays a solid, can play anywhere in the outfield, but plays a solid uh, defense and even in center field, can throw, can run. If you expect that, then you are talking about you are going to maybe be happy with what you see from Jason Dominguez. As far as Austin Wells, to his credit, he has continually gotten better as a catcher to the point where he is a plausible catcher, everyday catcher potentially defensively, who can hit. And that's obviously valuable. What we're going to see in September? Well, this is kind of the sneak peek. This is not just a sneak peek, but the idea of seeing from these players how much more seasoning they need before they can be added into the 2024 plans. In the case of Dominguez, especially, he is 20. He just arrived in AAA. It's not in any way a problem if he's not ready for the big leagues yet. But that said, this is the sneak peek of what the Yankees will look for in 2024 and beyond. Great stuff from JJ. Appreciate you and BA. So take it or leave it. We're going to do one big question here. Todd Father up first. Take it or leave it that Jason Dominguez is going to live up to the hype and that the nickname is going to live up to the hype. Like in the chat right now, there's a lot of comments about the nickname and the Jedi of Chicago who's in here a lot said the Jaguars a better nickname than the Martian. The Martian makes me think of the Matt Damon movie. I like the Martian. I think it's sick and we haven't heard it before. I like it. I like it. It's, it's one we've never heard of. Like you said, it's, you know, it fits him. I, I don't know. I, you know, he was on a plane flight the other day and nobody knew who he was. And he said, hey, man, I'm the Martian. I'm out of this world. And I thought that was awesome. So I like it. I I think he does live up to the hype. I think JJ made a good point. He's not going to, you know, he's going to blow you away. But to the point where it's like, ah, right, he's a really good ball player. And if he meets those expectations, which I think he will, he's going to play for a very long time. He has the skills. Obviously, he has the skills. He's had the skills since he was 16. He was like a 20-year-old at 16. Like, he matured early. So, I don't think he's going to physically have any issues. We heard Jose Trevino the other day talking about he hit two balls and back-to-back at bats from both sides of the plate over 105 miles an hour. At 20 years old, that is awesome. But I think the reason he will succeed from a productive big league standpoint is he's not afraid to take his walks. He understands the zone. And if you have that from both sides of the plate, your game can grow and you can easily make it applicable to what's going on. And then all of a sudden your batting average will go up and your 
power, you'll learn to hit for power because he's only swinging at pitches in the zone. I'm so excited to watch him face Verlander tonight, too. Let's do a little. That's what he said. Just one topic here. So Hal Steinbrenner spoke, and he said the Yankees plan to evaluate how they approach analytics in the offseason. I mean, damn, if I hear the word analytics one more time in freaking New York right now, I mean, New York fans can't get enough of that word. Um, here's the tweet. The Yankees, or, or, or here's the quote. We're looking to bring in possibly an outside company to really take a look at the analytics side of what we do, baseball operations in general, from Hal Steinbrenner. Kratz, I'll let you start. You're smiling. I'm smiling because I can see Jesse on one of our cameras, and that makes me laugh. Jesse, <laughs> Jesse's wearing a Jesse Jets behind jersey. the scenes. What's he doing? He's just wearing a Jets jersey, and he was dabbing it up on the screen. It's like the dude's never been on TV before. It's like it's like when you go to, it's like when you go to a game and like guys get on the big screen and they've never seen. It. Oh my gosh, there's my face. Anyway, the Yankees, the Yankees. This is what you're supposed to do when things don't go well. Evaluate it. You know, and anytime, whether you're analytics, whether you're old school like Todd, or you're somewhere in between, you have to ask questions. All right, why do I not like analytics? Okay, because, because I'm old school. Well, that's not an answer. Or it could be, you know, because I played and I saw a bunch of numbers that, you know, confused me. Okay, well, then you can, like, figure out how to figure out you know, a way to get the numbers across. Same way, analytics guys can't sit there and go, well, the numbers aren't wrong. The numbers have never been wrong. I understand the numbers have never been wrong. But you have to be able to give it to the player so he can digest it to the manager, to the coach, whatever it is. So the fact that they're going possibly in an outside company, this is such a positive for the Yankees because it will help them Maybe fill in some gaps, fill in some holes where they don't have success. And this is what really successful people do. They're okay with somebody saying, hey, you know what? You're not doing this very well. You need to improve. And you can either say, screw you, we're the Yankees. We've made the playoffs every year for 28 years. Or you can do this and say, hey, you know what? I understand. We might be behind. Or... They might come out of it and say, hey, what we have is awesome. Let's keep going. We're going to get back to the playoffs again next year. Yeah, and I think you make a good point by bringing that up. You know, it takes, it takes a, a tough man to explain. <laughs> Listen, we got to go over all this stuff. It didn't work out, and we're going to try and find somebody from the outside. Maybe they could fix it. That's okay. You can always go back to what you did. <clears throat> it's okay to do that. I mean, they're the Yankees. They could do pretty much – Anything they want. Any team could pretty much do whatever they want. They struggled this year mightily. They didn't have a good season hitting, fielding, I mean, et cetera. And I, and I think there is a problem there. And, you know, the only thing I don't like about analytics is, say, you know, I had this happen to me one time. I was 10 for my last 20, crushing it. And then I had to go face Max Scherzer, you know, the next day. They said, oh, you're not playing today because you don't hit well against him. Well, no, not really. I'm hot. I don't care who's on the mound. So those kind of <laughs> analytical things where I didn't understand, where I threw the paperwork out the window. I'm like, dude, this guy's killing it right now. And you're going to sit him because he's got bad numbers versus this guy. So stuff like that really bothered me. But at the same time, yeah, look into what's going on, try and fix it. And hopefully they can at the end of the year. 
and we'll see. But, you know, that's the Yankees in a nutshell. They'll figure it out, and they'll have a good offseason, and they'll figure out management. They'll figure out players and make the adjustment as they think needed. Let's slap hands. I just looked it up too. Cordero had 47 saves. Gosh darn it. I knew the Chief. The Chief was an all-star, and I didn't know. I knew it was around. Ah, that makes me angry. Flip that hat around, baby. What do you got, Kratzy boy? Viva Las Vegas. No. No. It's Louis Vuitton. It's the one game I played for Louis Vuitton. <laughs> Louis Vuitton actually pays me to not ever wear any of their stuff. Lehigh Valley, I don't pigs. I just found in the bag of hats, like just an absolute stack of Lehigh Valley iron pigs. I didn't even know we had this many different ones. So they're about to come rolling out. And a bunch of my, well, I won't tell you. I just found, I just found a plethora of new hats. So nice. Exciting day for me. There you go. Good job. And a programming reminder for everyone, the live show itself, not happening on Labor Day. Enjoy your time off, everyone. But we still pump out two pods a day. So you'll have two pods a day on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday. Catch up on some of the guests. Little legends territory action. A lot to listen to. So in case you're chilling or you're outside or you got a long drive or you're flying, we got you covered. I look ridiculous. I, I can't pull off the Griffey or even the AJ. And don't Back. forget, and don't forget today, the reason I'm played in the show as long as I did and the minors as long as I did. The queen, my wife, Sarah Kratz. Happy birthday, 26 years old. Happy oh. birthday, Sarah. Wow. Seriously, one of the best humans on the planet. I am 26? very to have met her a few times already and we gotta get a big birthday dinner going, Kratzy. Get it on the sketch. We need it, we need it down Let's at do the it. Borgata. Yes. At Borgata, which will be there next week and the week after. And a big announcement about the week after that. So stay tuned. September is going to be wild. Happy September to everyone. Be safe. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Go RU, Todd Father. Go Let's RU. go, baby. Don't sleep on that shirt today. Let's go. Going golfing. <laughs>